You are listening to the podcast When Life Gives You Lemons, presented by me, Emma Levy. Having worked with elite athletes for most of my career, it's always intrigued me that a significant number of high-performing individuals have encountered some form of adversity earlier in their lifetime. My fascination into this grew when I had my own brush with adversity, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer in May 2020, in the midst of the global pandemic at the age of only 36. During this period, I questioned whether it was my positive mindset or maybe something deeper, which enabled me to bounce back and to train and compete for a triathlon just one month following completion of all active cancer treatment. The goal of this podcast is to explore this concept further by meeting a variety of high-performing individuals who have experienced adversity, but who have come back stronger. Today, I'm welcoming Eve Muirhead to the podcast. Eve is one of Great Britain's most successful Winter Olympians, having represented the British women's curling team at four Olympic Games. In Beijing 2022, she achieved the ultimate goal, captaining the team to Olympic gold, despite several challenges in the lead up to the Games. Later that year, she was voted third by the public in the BBC Sports Personality of the Year, the first winter sports person to finish in the top three in almost 40 years. Eve has now retired from curling and I have caught her for a chat while she's in London commentating for Eurosport on the Curling World Championships, so I'm super grateful for her time. Eve, thank you for coming to chat with us today. Can we start at the beginning and tell us how did you get into curling? Because it's not your average sport in most <laughs> British towns. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, it's it's a sport that that it's very unique to get to a high level unless you have a curling background, mm-hmm. um, usually family. And I was very lucky that my, my dad was a, a world-class curler. He played in the Olympics when it was a, a demonstration sport, a couple of world medals and European medals. So I had kind of big footsteps to follow. And um, when I was younger, I'll be honest, like I was obsessed with the sport. And um, I would go and watch my dad competing as often as I could. And it was a bit like, right, I'm leaving at 6am. If you're not in the kitchen ready to go, then I'm not taking you. So I'd be there at like half five waiting to waiting to go so I, I definitely got into the sport through through my dad um, and really from from ever since I saw him doing well um, it was something that I wanted to do well in and that's what kind of made me push forward and um, realise I had a big opportunity within the sport. Do you think you had a choice if you wouldn't have wanted to have gone into curling could you have? I definitely had a choice and I think that's maybe one thing that I'm very lucky that I've had is parents that never for one minute pushed me into the sport. Um, I see a few people that you notice their parents are quite pushy and then that can ultimately turn into, right, I don't want anything to do with that sport. Um, But for me, it was definitely all my choice. Um, Of course, they they supported me in every choice I made, um, but um, I was very lucky that I, I wasn't pushed in. I was helped a lot, um, taxi driving yeah. um, by my parents. And I'm sure when I turned 17, it was the best day of their life when I could drive myself. So I think I'm very lucky in that respect. Yeah. And what was it like at school? Was it cool to curl? No, it, to, to say it bluntly. Um, curling was a sport that I was lucky that it was part of PE. Mm-hmm. And not a lot of schools can, can say they do have curling as their kind of their physical activities um, within PE. We had a small ice rink in Pitlochry, a little village um, up in the highlands of, of Scotland where I'm from. And um, it was about 10 minutes walk um, down from the school. And of course, I would I would always choose curling as um, as what I wanted to do within that, that kind of 
choices. And um, But I remember playing schools leagues. I remember when I got slightly better at the sport and selected for for different um, national academies um, and then on to kind of international tournaments. I would, I would lie sometimes to my, my friend um, that I was going away to curl because like, it wasn't cool. Um, I would kind of whisper to the teacher at the start of the lesson, like, listen, I need to leave at three o'clock because I'm heading wherever. And of course, they were super supportive. Like, they mm. loved it. But um, it just wasn't a cool thing to do yeah. at all at school. Yeah. I mean, but you had an am- amazing career. Like I said in my introduction, you spanned four Olympic Games, which is unbelievable. And I believe your first Games was in 2010. And you were the youngest skip in history to win an <laughs> Olympic medal in 2014 in Sochi when you won a bronze medal. And you were only 23 then. Yeah. And how did that feel captaining a team of women that were all quite a lot older than you? Yeah, Vancouver, um, for me, was definitely... Like, it was a bit of an eye-opener. In a way, it was a bit of a blessing in disguise that I had that games to kind of learn from. Um, I was the skip of the team, as you say, and... Um, the the rest of the girls were um a couple of them were were mums and um i think 42 the oldest and and i'm trying to captain her at 17 years old and that that was definitely very nerve-wracking for me because it wasn't a position i had been used to being in um of course like they were super supportive and um but it was it was very daunting and it was it was difficult and i'll be honest when i was when i was back there i was at olympic games and I probably was a little bit immature. I still had a lot of learning to do. Um, I think I I made best friends with the guy who worked at McDonald's. I um, I oh, yeah, like don't think I stepped foot in the gym the full week. Um, and it was just a, uh, I was I was in loving it if you know what I mean. But mm. I wasn't there really as an athlete. I was just there enjoying the time there. Yeah. And it was after that that I realised that God, if I wanted to get good at this sport at this level like I need to change my attitude and that was something I definitely did between um, getting home from Vancouver and getting on the flight to Sochi. So so young where do you think you got those leadership skills from? It's a very good question Um, I was a very successful junior curler I'd um, I'd won four world junior championships something um, that's that's never been done before and I actually had to miss one because of the Vancouver Olympics Um, but I think a leader is something that that you can't just develop without practice. But I also believe that a leader, um, everyone is a leader in some way. Everyone is a leader within their roles and responsibilities. And I'm just a leader within the tactical side of it um, and just kind of driving the team forward. And it's I still learn today how to be a good leader or how to get the most out of, of your team. Like it's something that I think is constantly developing. Um, but learning those skills from a young age, I guess I learned the most within my junior career. And as much as I, my first few years within ladies' ranks, playing as a as a junior, I got thumped. Um, but it's those losses that you learn the most from, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that takes us then to Pyeongchang. So in 2014, you get your bronze medal in Sochi, and then the next Winter Olympics is 2018 in Pyeongchang. And that wasn't a great Games for you guys, was it? And I believe you lost in the semi-finals. Coming fourth, I mean, I've personally always thought that fourth is the worst place to yeah. finish in sport. I, I can tell you it is. <laughs> and did you throw the last stone? Is that right? So do you blame yourself for that loss? Yeah, I do. And I'm very, very hard on myself in, in everything I do. Like I'm a bit of a kind of perfectionist. Um, anything I do, I want to do it to the best of my ability. 
Um, I don't do anything half-hearted. And Pyeongchang, like it was a very like I look back and everyone will like a lot of people ask me like what's your favourite games been out of the four and of course you think well but Beijing I won a gold medal or Sochi I won a bronze medal but in Pyeongchang I was competing alongside my two brothers and um, that's not something you you do very often or a lot of people never would do that so I had my two brothers playing in the men's team and of course my mum and dad were were there in the stands so that to me was very special like even the lead up to the games um, like they don't really step foot in a gym but they had to so even in the lead up to the games we'd be training together and we'd be on ice at the same time and the holding camp we'd all be together we were in um, Japan I think we were um, so this time when all of us were there was such a special time and then come the games um, yeah it was the Pyeongchang was a games that we just seemed to struggle the whole week um, the round robin was very up and down um, we knew we had to beat Canada in our last game to have any chance of qualifying for the semi-final and um, we did which um to this day, it still seems a bit of a blur. So we managed to get our semi-final spot. Got thumped by Sweden in the semi-final. Um, but we knew we still had a chance for a medal in the, the bronze game. And I, I always say that I find that a bronze med a bronze team game is one of the hardest. Because it's not just individual. You've got a team and you're always on the back of a loss. Mm-hmm. So that loss was always in our heads. We went we went on and played Japan. I We con- definitely controlled the game. Um, and yeah, like you say, um, me as the skip captain, I throw the last two stones and I had a, a pretty straightforward shot to win a bronze medal. Or to me, my standards, I think it was pretty straightforward and I missed it. So like I shattered the team's dreams, my own dreams of getting another medal and um, the weight of the world was just fell on top of me. It was it was horrible and I still replay that shot in my head today. Really? Yeah. Even now that you've got a gold medal, yeah. you still replay I can, it? I can still see it. Um, <laughs> I still know exactly like what I did um, and it was something that, yeah, it stuck with me for a long, long time because mm. it was, um, yeah, it was, I'll, I'll, I would make it nine out of ten times in practice but at, unfortunately at that time, <laughs> You can't run and replay it, can you? And that's sport, isn't it? It is. is. So how did you feel coming home from those games? That that was the games that, yeah, it it took me a lot of time to get over it. And um, I I definitely bottle things up. Like, I find it very hard to speak openly to people about how I'm personally feeling. And um, there was times, of course, that then I, I didn't know whether I wanted to carry on or not. Um, I was still, like, I knew I still had a, another games in me. But I didn't know whether I wanted to, to push to, to play in other games. A four-year cycle is a long, long time. And mm. I either go in or I don't go in. Um, so, yeah, I, I took some time off when I got back. And um, I eventually kind of opened up and spoke to a few people, got a bit of help. Um, and then slowly kind of got back on the bandwagon. Um, played um, back representing Scotland at a, a few events. But... It took me a while to get back into my own stride and get back into my own um, way of of how I wanted to be as a person and an athlete. Yeah. So where did you find that drive to get back to it? Well, the funny thing is I I got back from Pyeongchang and I knew I had to stop because I knew I had to get hip surgery. Um, I played right through Sochi Olympics. carried on um, Pyeongchang Olympics and I had 
a lot of pain within my hip and I knew I needed to get surgery at some point but it was just known when to get that uh, so I I forced myself to to get to get that when I got back from Pyeongchang because in a way I knew that would that would stop me <laughs> that would put me back and it um, gives you the time to reflect absolutely sometimes, doesn't it? yeah no it did and um so the the surgery you're lying in the hospital bed of course and you wonder um whether you're ever going to throw a curling stone again and um of course that went through my head you're watching all your competitors and all they're doing is getting better and better <laughs> i've got nowhere to go mm. um so yeah like that was a very very tough road um with rehab and um, working close with physios and and docs and things um and like the kind of person i am of course i I'd got through it all probably a lot quicker than what I should have. I probably went back on ice a lot quicker than what I should have. Um, but touch wood now, um, my hip's in a lot better place. Yeah, brilliant. And am I right in saying around that time you were diagnosed with celiac disease as well? Yeah, it was just um, prior to Sochi I, I got diagnosed. I I was going through a bit of a stage and I just, I just felt awful. <laughs> I just mm. couldn't keep anything down and... I didn't really know what was going on and yeah that was the that was the diagnosis that came back and of course that that kind of takes the wind out of your sails for a little bit because back then um, as much as now you can go into probably any restaurant anywhere and there's something they cater for you and I hate making a big deal of it I just kind of keep my head down and get on with it um but back then like it wasn't such a known a known kind of diagnosis to have and I'd be honest I didn't even know what gluten was <laughs> um I loved a loaf of bread and a bowl of pasta um but now yeah it's just something that I have to live with I'm back full full health and um I'm yeah I'm happy and um at least I know that that's what I have and I just have to live with that yeah so as an athlete with that did you struggle with kind of energy balance at all back before I was diagnosed yes um now no yeah. Uh, I think now I know what I can and can't eat and it's something I'm very passionate about is the kind of nutrition side of it um, so I'm always learning about that as well I'm always kind of figuring out what um, what I do like and what I don't like and what I get the most out of within my, my body and things Yeah, because you're training at the moment for the marathon aren't you in yes. a few weeks? I know marathon. a lot of people think I'm really stupid and I <laughs> think that most days as well um, but it, it's one. It's another one of those um, those kind of things that as an athlete you retire and I need something to drive me forward or a goal and I've always wanted to do a marathon and I'm lucky I've got I know Steve Cram very well and he's he's helping me out he's doing my program he's looking after me and um, I thought I would just be getting a generic here's a marathon program but no he's like my coach amazing. and um, which is amazing it, yeah. it's it's unbelievable I did a half marathon last weekend and he came along and watched me and he just kind of pitches up at different parts of the course and shouts on me and everyone's like oh my god that's Steve Cram <laughs> um, so like to have him in your corner is is yeah. amazing like he's it's it has been so so good um, so I'm just a few weeks out now and um yeah, I just need to get through through these next few weeks. <laughs> How's the hip coping? The hip, to be honest, ever since I don't ever since I don't curl anymore, getting in that ridiculous position we get in, mm. it has been absolutely fine. Mm. And because running, you're in a kind of straight plane. Yeah, it, it has been okay. Um, just a few kind of hamstring, <laughs> shin, oh, you name it. It's just starting to creep in a little bit exactly um, it gets hard now but now you get the few weeks kind of rest i know i actually got big. my program from him um was it on friday or saturday for the last little bit and 
it's like one more longish run um, and then it's pretty like just keeping ticking over like I think all the hard work's done yeah um, and then you get to eat loads oh I can't wait to watch it's my birthday <laughs> actually on the Saturday and oh, then wow. the marathon's on the Sunday so we'll just have to maybe wait till the Sunday for the, the birthday celebrations yeah. <laughs> um, so let's go back then to before uh, Beijing the world championships in the summer before that that wasn't successful either mm. was it no that was um, a complete disaster <laughs> if I'm perfectly honest mm-hmm. um so because the world championships um two years before the games was cancelled because of covid it was the one world championships prior to beijing so 2021 that was the qualifier for the games so we had to finish top six at the world championships in calgary to qualify beijing and um, qualify team gb a spot in beijing so we we uh, we were the selected team and went out to to calgary forgetting well not forgetting but this was covid time so we're out there for five and a half weeks in a bubble, um, in a hotel room, rooms on our own, um, uh, not allowed to leave the room. I think we had one, a week and a half full isolation, like couldn't leave. Um, and then we were allowed 15 minutes a day to walk around the car park. Wow. We were then also, obviously, the bus to and from the arena. And um, every meal, delivery um, or room service, like you could literally see Starbucks across the parking lot, but you couldn't go there. You'd have to get it delivered. And every meal out of a plastic tub, plastic cutlery, uh, me being who I am when it comes to training, like I'm, I train a lot and it's one thing that kind of keeps me mentally going. Um, I actually took my own dumbbell with me, which seems ridiculous, <laughs> but I had a 15 kilo dumbbell with me because I knew we were going to be stuck. Um, so I did so many workouts within the room and oh, honestly, it was just, it was, it was awful. Yeah. Anyway, to cut a long story short, we, um, we didn't finish top six. And it was the first world championships I would say that I've truly failed at. And um, we came home on the back of that and it was horrible. Like not one person within the kind of support services team spoke to me for over three weeks. Mm. And um, then to me it came to light that when you're successful, everyone wants to be part of your team. They want to be part of you. But when you fail, no one wants to have anything to do with you. And so we went home, we were straight into isolation. Um, my Obviously my parents spoke to me, I had a few friends that spoke to me, um, like my management company spoke to me, but, but that was it. And I honestly didn't know, I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, I didn't know whether I wanted to carry on curling. Mm-hmm. And I can say it now, but I was so close to, to stopping, really? very, very close to stopping. Um, I needed to get help and I did get help. I was put on medication and... Yeah. Um, psychological help yeah and um yeah i i i actually took i i didn't know whether as i say i didn't know whether i wanted to go back um the rest of the the rest of the team went went back and i um, managed to get another couple of weeks off because i just i wasn't in a good place yeah, to so we to just go. super low basically uh, yeah like there was days and I, I couldn't even open my curtains i couldn't step foot out the door it was just like it was a time that it was yeah i, I would never put it on any like want anyone to experience that because Mm. it was it was horrible was it the first time you'd experienced that to that extent absolutely um so british curling then on the back of us um failing at the world they put together like a squad system Mm -hmm. so within a curling team there's the five players four on the ice and one alternate so there was nine players within this squad 
and we knew we had one last chance to qualify for the games at like the Olympic qualifying event. So three out of t- ten teams qualified. Um, the last three remaining spots, and that was only taking place like four months prior to Beijing. Um, but in the past, like God, I've known for about. 10 months if I'm going to the games or not so for me this was all very very new there was obviously a lot of press going on around the men's team the mixed doubles team because they'd all qualified and the ladies team hadn't and of course Eve Muirhead was the failure so So that's how you saw it yes I guess yes (laughs) um so I did eventually um bring myself around to to go back to to training how Um, long after do you think um so the the rest of the girls we probably had about five weeks off mm-hmm. um, I probably had about seven weeks off okay. and I remember the first day I went back to the National Curling Academy I was a complete nervous wreck I just felt like everyone was just looking at me um probably thinking like why did she get extra time off like why what's going on um I just I hated it it was it was horrible did your teammates know what had been going on with you yeah I think they would have probably put two and two together but you didn't um, speak to anyone. And the thing about is, it. now that we all can speak about it, mm. I know for a fact they were all thinking, feeling pretty much the same. Really? Yeah. It was. Um, yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't a nice time. Um, so the squad system um, kind of pushed on with that. Every week you'd be with a different team. You'd be traveling around. But what I what I decided I would do at that time was, I would just focus on me. Mm. Um, I knew that if I could get myself well. Um, I would be a better player. Um, in the past, being skip captain, being the person I am, I would take all the responsibilities. Like, who's got the brush bag? Have we got enough brush pads? Who's checking at the airport? Are you putting your car into the airport car park? Who's driving? Who's doing this? But I just thought, right, I'm just taking a complete step back. I'll just be where I need to be at what time. And that's exactly what I did. How um, did you get yourself well? I think taking that step back from trying to do everything um, and realising that, I needed to put myself first because in the past I hadn't. I worried too much about what everyone else was doing and um, whether they were in a good place. And um, so that's probably the the main part, like what I did. Um, I went to, to the ice drink, I did what I needed to do and I left. Mm. Um, I even did my own gym training at home because um, right. I, I didn't, I just couldn't go be, I found being social very difficult. Um, I found being around people very hard. Yeah. So I did my my training at home. I put a gym together in my garage. Um, so right now it's perfect because <laughs> I've got a gym at home. Um, so I did all my gym training at home. Um, and then teams were put together throughout the, the kind of six months of the squad period and um, went all around the world competing. Um, I always requested that I got the, the single room if I could within the squad because there was nine of us. Because, um, as I say, I just found it very hard being around people. Yeah. I felt like I always needed to be on my own. I needed my own space. And, of With course, it. people understand that to a certain extent. But then you've got to think, like, why should even your head get better treatment than everyone else? So so did they understand that? Yeah, a yeah. lot of them. A lot of the time it was understood. And I was around a lot of very, very good um, coaches, good support staff who, mm-hmm. who did get it and understand that the, the way I was wasn't good. Um so I was selected event like after a lot of tournaments for for the team to go to to Beijing. Um, we were we had the European Championships, and um, that was in November, and then we had the Olympic qualifying event in December, and then the Olympic Games in February. So we actually won the European Championships. Wow. Um, how to this day I will never ever know. 
Um, and then we went out and actually won the Olympic qualifying event. <laughs> How to this day, I will never know. And then went on and won the Olympic Games. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it's not without a lot of um, ups and downs. Mm. And, of course, the, the millions of people watching it only see the, the great part when you're standing on top of that podium with the medal. But believe you me, there's been a lot that's gone on yeah. um, prior to that. Yeah. So do you think the squad system that they chose and the fact that you're all competing against each other to get on that that squad do you think that helped prepare you for competition i do i think british curling definitely did the right thing doing that squad system mm. um because i think something had to be done um yeah. and it also gave me a chance to step back and realize right i i don't know who my team is so all i can do is focus on myself of course when i'm playing with a team on the ice like i want to get the best out of them and of course i did that at the time mm. but away from that i just focused on me um, i did what i needed to do I always ask myself the question, like, what is your job? And started with Carl and ended in Carl, and that, that's what I did. Um, so I do think the squad system was something that needed to be done. Um, I've got a lot of people like to thank that, that got me through that, whether it was um, doctors, physios, the support services within within British Carling. Like, they were all very, very helpful when 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 I was so, so low. Yeah. Um, but it was, I look back and I think maybe a lot of it prior to that not being identified was because of the way I am I'm very kind of like I, I keep everything I bottle things up I don't want to look weak yeah. um, and I hate exposing myself to, to kind of weakness and you think about it if you don't speak up and tell someone then it's very very hard for someone to know of course yeah, yeah it's so important to communicate isn't it and open up about those things and so then you by the time you got to the Beijing Olympics and you were selected as, as flag bearer which I can imagine brings in an additional amount of emotion with it. So you've got the privilege, mm -hmm. but then you also must have extra pressure to perform. How did you kind of manage all of these emotions going into the tournament? There, there was a lot. And I actually got the, the phone call um, from Georgie Harland, who was chef de mission, um, a couple of days before we left the UK to ask if I would be the, the flag bearer. Um, because we had our holding camp, because it was COVID, we had our holding camp in Scotland. So we only really flew out um, and then we had a couple of days before the, the opening ceremony. Um, so I got out there and that's when all the press started for the, the flag bearing. Um, but like for me, it was a huge sense of um, pride. Um, it was a massive privilege to, to be asked to do that because every game you're at and you think, oh, I wonder who's going to be flag bearer. And you, you see the legends like Lizzie Arnold, Amy Williams, all these guys that Rona Martin that have got gold medals and they're the flag bearers and you're thinking god like that must be amazing like coming out there at the the front leading team gb at the opening ceremony mm. so when i was asked to be that like it was a real it was it was it was a real honor and um i still like i it was me and um, dave Ryden, the skier and um we were both absolutely cacking ourselves <laughs> and i still can feel holding that flag because you just feel like you're so like it weighs a ton you don't yeah. realize but it does and you're walking around the stadium um so like for me that was um that that kicked off what i wanted to be a very memorable games win or lose i wanted to know that i'd got through what i'd got through to get there mm -hmm. um and it's easy for me to say now, regardless of the result, I would have come away knowing like I'm proud of what I've done. Yeah. Um, but I did definitely feel that like win or lose, I knew I'd done as much as I could to get at least get myself back on the ice. Mm -hmm. um, and um, the gold medal, I guess, was just a bonus. Yeah. And how was your mental health by the time you arrived in Beijing? 
if I'm honest, like I wasn't well, but I was well enough. Yeah. Um, and for me, that's probably all that mattered. Um, I I still found it very hard, and even to this day, like I find socialising quite hard at times, mm-hmm. um, and just being around lots of people. Yeah. Um, but I guess it just it just takes time, doesn't it? Like for me, having now retired, I've actually realised that there like there's a life away from being an athlete mm. and it's all I've ever experienced has been a full-time athlete yeah. I left school I was a full-time athlete and now I've retired and suddenly I realized god there actually is a life away from full-time sport yeah and there's that thing isn't there there's that uh, post-olympic feel that people talk about where you wake up the next morning and you're like well I've just achieved my dream I know what now <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah it, it's weird because we got off the back of the games you come home and um, there's so much press. Uh, I reckon, no word of a lie, I probably had about five, six hours sleep in four nights um, because we finished our gold medal. You, you had loads of press. We had the closing ceremony that evening. I didn't even have a drink until about <laughs> two in the morning after the closing ceremony. How did it feel, actually, when you won that gold medal? Let's start there. You you win the gold medal. How, how did that feel at that point? It was very surreal if I'm honest it felt like a huge weight had just been lifted off my shoulders yeah I felt like I'd been capable of winning a gold medal but I didn't know why I hadn't before then um so for me it was something that I knew this team deserved it because we we'd we'd come through so much so it was a week of up and downs but it was a week of really really enjoying it and not being hard on myself um, making sure and put the make sure the team were in a great place um, made sure they they felt rightly so that they deserved to be there because for all of them it was their, their first Olympic Games um, and um, yeah we just had a really great time as a team and enjoyed it yeah and I've heard other athletes say that their primary emotion when they win that gold medal is relief yeah and absolutely. You've, you've basically just said the same thing you had this massive weight it was lifted. and um, it was just that because and I think everyone saw that when the emotion came out when when the anthem started um, so it it was it was like it was honestly like you'd you'd been this person under a rock for so long and suddenly that rock had been lifted and and that weight was off your shoulders for sure wow. and so w- was there any celebration time you, honestly like um not a lot <laughs> because we we'd finished the game i don't know it was about 6 in the afternoon our time straight to a lot of media we were told right you need to be um you need to be ready for the closing ceremony we got back to our apartment um and team gb had left us some champagne and things but we literally had to get 20 minutes to get ready for the closing ceremony so we didn't even have time to open that <laughs> closing ceremony went there of course as like ceremonies go it's very slow paced um got back about i don't know must have been about 11 12 and um team gb always put together a bit of a kind of party a bit of a kind of celebration just a bit of a get together within the the apartment and they'd done just that but we were leaving at five in the morning for the flight or everyone was and of course none of us are packed and um you'll know what it's like when you go away with team gb the kit you get ridiculous so there's stuff everywhere <laughs> so we're going pack and it must have been about one in the morning so i was like right i'm going to go down and get a drink um so I stayed down there for a couple of hours then the flight home which on first class oh, very nice first time ever even got pajamas like <laughs> yeah. it was amazing um, it was. It was such a fun flight. Um, so I didn't get, get much sleep in there. Yeah. But of course, couldn't be stupid because as soon as we landed, we were straight to like the one show oh, and wow. things like that. Um, 
we got put up in the Langham, which was lovely when we got back Very to nice. London, which I kind of wish them, um, we, we, for all I cared at the time, I could have been in a travel lodge because I think I slept for about two hours, oh. which was a shame. Um, media flew back to Scotland. Um, I think we got in late at night after a full day of media and um, yeah, the airport was packed. Mum and dad came pick me up and so this was about it was about ten o'clock, got back towards where where I stay and um I knew I was like ten steps from my own bed. It was amazing. And then of course my full street put on a street party. No way. Which was amazing. <laughs> um and yeah, like it was just like, Oh my god, like you just you didn't really it was so surreal. Yeah. Um, I love that how people come oh, together. Oh, that's what it's like. Like yeah. you just forget how many millions of people were watching you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so full street party at my house at like <laughs> 10 o'clock at night. So this went on for a few hours and um, yeah, of course, never really slept too much. Um, the next day I remember meeting my little brother for, for breakfast because he couldn't come the night before. And then I hit the wall. I was ill as a dog. Mm. I I think it was just complete exhaustion. Yeah. Um, all your emotions are like just drained I remember lying on the couch like I couldn't keep any food down um, and of course like you at the still at the time like you've got to fill in like your daily diaries and COVID still arrived so physio was like I think you need to go and get a COVID test I was like, I, I'll tell you now <laughs> it's not COVID I'm just ill anyway so off I go to get a COVID test of course not COVID um, spoke to the doc he's like do you know what just go and get a bottle of coke and crisps <laughs> love that so I did that and um, spent the next couple of days lying on the couch. So <laughs> like from the glitz and glamour. It is honestly like, um, of course, it's changed my life. Absolutely has, but it's mm. not changed me as a person. Yeah. I'm still just Eve Muirhead, who lives in Scotland, who gets on with life. Yeah. <laughs> still got to cook my own dinner that night and everything. Yeah. <laughs> so did you have that post Olympic depression? Yeah, I would. I would say for sure. I would say I'd be very surprised if every Olympian didn't get some kind of come down, some kind of mm. small depression post games because you're you're so high, even if you don't win a medal, you're looked after so well, you're um, basically living the dream for a couple of weeks and then you get home and you're back to reality. Um, and for me, of course, I've retired now, but it didn't cross my mind, honestly, like during the games, not once. When I got home, I didn't really think about it. And then time was kind of creeping on and I was due to get back to ice like the following week and I just one morning I woke up and I thought there is absolutely no way I can go back training there is just not a chance and I decided I said right that's it I'm stopping and that was it and you fully w- so, yep. knew that was the right decision at that oh point. yeah I um of course I spoke to people that um family and friends and things that I wanted to speak to about it and said listen am I being stupid or mm-hmm. and not one person um said yeah you're being stupid carry on yeah um and it's probably one of the best decisions i've made is stepping away yeah great to retire when you know that you're ready absolutely i think um i'm very lucky that i retired on the top of my sport i retired as um european olympic and um, i was the world mixed doubles champion at the time as well so to finish world olympic european champion um within my sport like I, I couldn't really finish on a higher note. Yeah. And then in my introduction, I did mention the BBC Sports Personality of the Year, the, how you came third, because I think that's a massive achievement. And also it's so um, amazing that you brought curling into the consciousness mm. of the British public. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that's unbelievable. And in your thank you speech, you said how you did it the hard way and you learned so much about how to get yourself back from failure. 
Could you share any of those tips with our listeners? Yeah, like sports personality to me um, was something I've watched for years and years as a kid. Um, I remember getting the phone call basically telling me you're shortlisted for the top six and I was like, stop it. I was like, this is the sport of curling. Um, I'm up against snooker, athletics, um, you name it. I'm up against these guys and there's a curling, a curler. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so that was surreal as it was. Um, The evening itself was um was also very like you walk in and they're like yeah this is your seats in the front row and I was like oh, good one <laughs> um and then I remember the producer came and he started explaining so there was only there was four of us there who were shortlisted um Ronnie O'Sullivan um and a couple of them weren't actually there so he was explaining he's like right if you finish top three this is what you have to do and I honestly just zoned out I wasn't really listening to him <laughs> and then as the night went on and then um they called my name for being third I was like oh no. I was like, I don't have a clue where I'm going. I don't know what to do. And of course, it's a live show. So I go up and get the trophy and I was like, I kind of looked around at my mum's stuff thinking like, do you know where I go? So I just kind of stood at the side. Thankfully, it was the right thing to do. Um, And just kind of stood there with my trophy. Um, But I think, um, of course, like to to be as low as I was and then to come come back, win the games Mm. and and get placed at sports personality um, is something that, that I could only ever have dreamed of and if I'm honest how how I did that and how I came back from failure would be to take a step back and focus on me as a person and realize what I needed to do to help me and for me at the time that was taking a step back and um and putting myself first not worrying about the others um not trying to do too many jobs um, do what I needed to do, um, go home, um, spend time with people who meant something to you, um, and that's ex- that's probably exactly what what I did. And it's still it's still hard to to know how I eventually picked myself up from not even opening my curtains or putting the bin out, because mm-hmm. um, there are times that it's yeah it's not nice. Um, and of course medication helps, but it doesn't yeah. solve everything. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, there's been a lot of buyers come come through, but um, I'm over the other side now. And the, yeah. I think the main thing is I'm happy, I'm enjoying life, and that's all I wanted um, at this time. Yeah, and I I took to come back from that terrible year to you know win a gold medal. I've seen your teammates describe you as driven, determined, resilient. And in this podcast, we do talk about grit and resilience. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if you see yourself as a resilient person. I do. Yeah, I am. And um, Whatever I do, I do it to the best I can. Um, speaking about like running, for instance, doing the marathon, um, I don't think I've missed one day training yet. And if I'm honest, when I was in my curling career as well, I don't think I missed one day training wow. because that's just the kind of person I am. But mm. on top of that, I probably did about 500 extra days. Yeah. And But that's just me. Yeah. That's, um, so do you think you've always been resilient or do you think you've developed resilience along the way? I think I've definitely developed it. I think um, I look at other people and, and what they do to achieve their dreams mm. and um, you speak to a lot of people and a lot of people say it's it's doing that little extra and of course you say it's the 1% that, that get you better and I understand that but first of all you've got to get the 99% right 
and sometimes you need to take that step back and focus on the basics focus on the fundamentals and once they are good then you can drive forward and and do the smaller bits yeah so and I think you do some motivational speaking now don't you and you talk about um like strategies for success um are there any specific strategies that you use that you think help drive you forward yeah like I I think um there's a lot of kind of strategies that I've like experimented um over the years like what what's worked for me but I think for me I always try and set like small goals like it sounds very cliche and that's the thing that that you should do is set goals set Mm -hmm. boundaries but it's something that I find helps me move forward um for it for example running like I had a half marathon last weekend like I knew that was that was a small goal that I needed to get to I achieved that I did it I loved it Mm -hmm. and then we move on and we've got the marathon curling wise first of all you focus very much on getting your getting your kind of delivery, getting your technical side of it as as good as you can. Um, throughout the year, we have what you call technical assessments, and I always try and um, every time I do one of them, I'll I'll try and increase every time. Um, and then you've got different events throughout the season. You've got world rankings, like you mm-hmm. try and like Europeans, for instance. Like I want a podium at this one. Um, make that great. If you don't, then like why didn't you? Why did you not achieve? achieve that goal so it's um it's very kind of simple strategies but very effective ones that I think sometimes people just put out the window and and forget about it but for me it's it's very important that that you do do that talking about goal setting my worry with goal setting is that sometimes we can become so obsessed with the goals that we Mm, don't enjoy the process yeah the process is is part of it and the process is probably what I love the most um, and it's also, I think, it's very satisfying when you see that the process is working. Mm. Um, so what now for you, Eve? You've got the marathon in a few weeks. You're commentating. I'm hoping to get some of your physio skills. That's what, <laughs> no, I'm um, so yeah, like the next few weeks, I am very marathon focused. Um, just now, I'm commentating. Um, I'm working a lot with the the British Olympic Association. I'm the the chef de mission at the Gangwon Youth Olympic Games. Um, in Korea in January so that's exciting um, mm. I've had a few days um, working with with the, the staff there and they're such a great bunch of people and one thing that I have learned since retired is um, how much work goes into tournaments competitions behind the scenes because yeah. as an athlete you're just you're totally just not even on your radar and I've got a whole new respect for the the kind of team behind the team because it's unbelievable how the kind of clogs run behind the behind the scenes it's mm. actually quite scary really how as an athlete you're you're so switched off to that yeah um so yeah so I'm just really enjoying life um nice enjoying um kind of what what's ahead of me but also working hard as well like mm. I didn't retire to sit at home and, and twiddle my thumbs yeah um as much as I retired I only retired from elite sport I've not retired from anything else so just keep being me and um, yeah, enjoying every day. Nice. And I do always finish with a final question. Um, if you could go back in time to when things were their toughest, what do you wish you could have told yourself? <sighs> Good question. Um, what would I have told myself? That things will get better, whether it's days, months, years, it, things will get better. Like things couldn't stay um, that bad for that long um because it wasn't sustainable it wasn't possible so probably that that things will get better um opportunities will come your way 
and you will wake up with a smile soon yeah and where can people find you eve if they want to know more about you instagram um even your head on instagram twitter linkedin facebook um you name it you know the usuals amazing Um, thank you i can't say i'm very good at social media but i'm on it (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much eve thank you for coming to chat to us today you are a true champion of the winter sports world (laughs) and i don't doubt that it was your strength resilience determination that helped you become that helped your sporting career be the amazing success it was i look forward to following your onward journey and good luck in the london marathon in Mm, a few weeks thank you (laughs) thanks (laughs) 